to hear me say the same thing every service, but um, Jerry was the one that pointed it out, and we concur that we've been blessed to have uh, Dr. Leon with us, and when he comes, um, it's not just information that he gives. He does, but there's an impartation that takes place, and ever since he's been coming, we found that our church has increased and gone up, um, and so we're grateful for that. So we're looking forward to what God has put on his heart for this. Uh, we're actually only going through Monday night what God has put on his heart for us so that, uh, you know, we can hear we can hear the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord can inspire us. And we're here as leaders. And so uh, as we go, so go the rest of the church, you know. So I hope that you guys will uh, just take in what God, this is just an opportunity for you to get blessed tonight. Take in what the Lord's put on his heart and uh, we welcome you, Dr. Lamb. It's great to be with you. Um, probably of all the things that I love to do most, and that's teaching on leadership, I have uh, started a leadership, what we, what we call spiritual leadership training. The difference between, say, John Maxwell and Leon Van Royen, and I love John Maxwell, I've read all his books, so this is certainly not a criticism, is... He is teaching leadership principles. I'm teaching leadership principles, but there's a big difference. Spiritual leadership as to leadership is a huge difference. Because spiritual leaders only lead people where God wants them to take the people. John Maxwell, his books will work for a leader in the secular world, and they're good. I've got John Maxwell's Bible. I know he's a godly man. I've read just about every book he's ever brought out. I've studied them. But I, what I like about mine is it focuses on servant leadership, sacrificial leadership, selfless leadership, spiritual leadership, spiritually empowered leadership, submitted leadership, and uh, skilled leadership. And these are all critical elements that separate us from secular leaders. We are not secular leaders. We are promoted by God. Therefore, we're accountable to God. We're also accountable to the lead pastor, to the church leadership team, because we submit to one another, we honor one another. But the truth is, it's God who's promoted us because he found us faithful, and he trusts us with someone's eternity. We are not here for any other reason other than to bring glory to God and to impact lives that they would receive what God has got for them. So I want to read a portion of Scripture. To the theme for this weekend is new wine, new wineskins. And I want to deal with new wine, new wineskin leadership. And I summarized it in one word called change. New wine, change wine. New wineskins, change wineskins. So leaders are about change. Now I want to read a portion of scripture which you will know by heart, but just as a reminder, and we'll discuss some of these things, and you can each bring out what you get out of it. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. 
who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And because you've all studied the word, you know the repercussions of this miracle. 5,000 people are saved. Peter and John are severely rebuked by the Sanhedrin. They commanded not to preach in the name. They return to their companions. They pray. They ask that God would escalate the anointing and increase the supernatural in their life. The place is shaken. They are filled with the Spirit, and they speak the word with boldness. And God works mighty signs or unusual signs and wonders through the hands of the apostles. You all know this portion of Scripture. Let's just go around and each one just give one thing that you get or would love to see from this portion of Scripture. We'll just start here with Marty. So boldness is what you get. They were bold to step into it. What did you get? So boldness, boldness, boldness. What did you? They knew what they had. Such as I have, they knew what they had. They gave away what they had. What did you get out of the story? went with the flow, expecting God to show up something different. I like that. What did you get out of that story? They were led. Peter fixing his eyes on him. There was a holy look and authority got on him. Yeah. Unity, team. Strength. 
strength togetherness. At the end, they asked for boldness to speak. And instead of being intimidated, they wanted to step it up. I like that too. just come off the crucifixion so they they were anticipating this thing to increase but they weren't that afraid because they asked for more they escalated in the back of their mind I wonder what's going to happen to us next what did you get out of it boldness what did you get Pastor Rick Hearing from God, doing what God showed them. Here's what I want to share. Change. I bet that miracle changed them. <laughs> Peter and John were changed. The lame man was changed. 5,000 were changed. The Sanhedrin were changed for the worst. They went and prayed. The place was shaken. They were filled. That's more change. And then God worked in an increased way more change, and they spoke with boldness, more change. So for me, this whole story is about change. And God uses people to bring change. That's what leaders do. We bring change. And so uh, in the light of the new wine and the new wineskins, leading change, I'll make this statement. Leaders are born for change. Leaders love change. Leaders thrive in the environment of change. Spiritual leaders are promoted by God to promote change, to produce change. The very nature of leadership is change. Vision brings change. The gospel brings change. Healing brings change. Teaching brings transformation, change. The nature of all ministry is change. When God leads us and we obey, Psalm 23 is a classic. He leads us to still waters, change of location. He leads us to green pastures, changed environment. He restores my soul, changed environment. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Change. He prepares a table for me. Changed. I'm satisfied as I partake of his provision. So he leads us to change us. Of course, the greatest change that we could ever produce as leaders is when we share the gospel and someone's born again. They become a new creation. Changed. <laughs> I mean, the greatest of all change, lost, found, blind, see, dead, alive, new priorities, new values, things they never thought they would do, suddenly they want to do. 
It's not they have to, they want to because of the inner change. And when we teach the metamorphosis, you know, um, the entrance of God's word brings light to understanding, but it also brings transformation. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renew of your mind. Joshua, meditate in the word day and night. Why? Because you need to be changed on the inside to think the way I think, to speak the way I think, to do what I want you to do. Change. The nature of leadership is change. Now, the way you identify a follower as to a leader, followers hate change. <laughs> Leaders thrive in change. You can tell whether you're leading or following. If you resist change, you act in as a follower. Leaders embrace change. It's like a warrior. When you're a warrior, you embrace the battle. You bored out of your skull when there isn't a war. When you're a leader, you hate the same old, same old. Um, am I right, Pastor Rick? I'm sure you analyzing everything you do all of the time. You go department by department. Everything you do, you look in, what can I do to improve this, to grow this, to change this? Hence, new carpets. Hence, new chairs. Hence, new stage. Hence, new inner work. Why? Because leaders want change always from glory to glory, strength to strength. We don't need change for the sake of change. We want change because we're doing it in excellence. We want God to be glorified and we want to inspire people. We don't change because we've got nothing better to do. We're only analyzing because we want to find God's best. I do. I look, I go through everything I'm doing all the time, analyzing it, checking it. What can I do different that would improve this? Because it's based on the kingdom principle from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. So we as leaders love change. We thrive in the environment of change. And of course, not change for the sake of it, but to fulfill the will of God. Salvation, change. Discipleship, we disciple someone. We're changing their way of thinking, their way of speaking, their way of doing. We're encouraging them into the word, into prayer. God answering prayer. Their life has changed. Someone else's life has changed through their prayers. So everything we're doing is about bringing God's redemption, God's increase, God's plan, God's will, and that spelt change. Someone asked me once, define revival. And there are so many nuances. It's like a, a diamond with multifacets. But the one way that I described revival is change. When, the, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, change. <laughs> Radically changed. Huge change. But when the church comes into revival, it's radically changed. Then someone will say, well, when revival comes, why is there so much turmoil that comes with it? Now, I'm not talking about fringe extremes. I don't think the Holy Spirit does causes weirdness. You understand? I'm talking about 
the miraculous, the presence, the power of God in order. Um, but I've been through a number of mighty moves of God. And every one of them, we have been challenged to the hilt by what I call the old wine. <laughs> the old wine is easily recognizable because they wine. <laughs> but think about it. Someone gets delivered from a demon in church. They like those people when the man at the at Gadareans was delivered. Jesus, get out of here because it didn't suit the service. You know, they offended by someone's deliverance. Who are those? The old whiners. Joy and laughter comes. They want tears and weeping. And the Bible says there's a time to weep. But they don't equate holiness with joy, even though Nehemiah said, This day is holy unto the Lord. Do not sorrow. Do not grieve. Uh, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. They forget that verse, and they equate holiness with tears. And so the old whiners are offended. They will even say it's either the flesh or the devil. And of course, the devil can't give joy. Because <laughs> you can't give what you don't have, such as I have. The devil is a thief. He doesn't give something. He only takes. If anything, the devil takes joy, peace, tries to rob you of your faith, of your righteousness, of your confidence. He doesn't give stuff away. So it's easily recognizable, but when you're in the thick of that fight, trying to defend what God is doing from people that are resistant to it, you can quickly discern who's got the new wine and who's the old wine. And so when revival comes, I, one person said revival brought a split to a church. I said revival can't bring a split. The Holy Spirit loves the church. He's not going to cause a split. What causes a split is old wineskin mentality. We've never done it this way before. This isn't how we usually do it. And so they get stuck in a rut. And you've all heard the definition, the difference between a rut and a grave. They're both ditches, and you can't get out of them. Because you get stuck in it. And so leaders crave change, love change. The preaching brings change, we hope. The move of God brings change. Salvation brings change. Discipleship brings change. The very nature of vision brings change. Think about it. When this was a plot of land, there was no building yet. Someone envisaged a church on this piece of land with the finances that they could pull together, the faith that they could pull together, they built this facility with the best that they had at that time, sacrificially. Why? Because they had a vision that there would be a church in this community where the full gospel would be preached. And so with vision, they brought change to this piece of land. When a missionary goes to Africa, the missionary has a change of location. A radical change of diet, of clothing, 
of transport, of roads, of living, and then they go into that village or that community, and that village starts to experience God, and it's changed. So the nature of ministry and vision is about change. Someone has a vision for an orphanage. Those kids' lives will never be the same. My son moved to India a number of years ago as a humanitarian and worked with orphanages and then set up an orphanage in Nepal. And now the kids that were once little babies living on the streets, sniffing glue, are going into college, financed, educated. Three have made national team. One made the national dance team, one made the national field hockey team, and one made the national debate team. And the one that made the national debate team was the shyest boy that could barely speak. And, And those are just like three examples because my son had a vision to rescue kids off the streets. And now they are going into college. Instead of living as beggars, they will become the leaders in the community. But it took faith, it took vision, it took strategy, it took building a team, it took building partners. But what is the result of vision? Change. And so all ministries around change and this church and the team, the leadership team, have felt like it's time to make some radical shifts. We're not going to do business as usual. Most restaurants have a short lifespan because making profit in the food industry is very hard. And there's so much new business coming up around them that if they lose their regular clientele, it's very hard to regain it. So every time someone comes in, they want to make it a happy event that people leave being satisfied that will come back, I'm all right. But good restaurants typically will put a lot of money into marketing, into branding, and then after some time, they'll even rebrand. They'll redo their menus. They'll redo their, their building. Why? Because they want to stay on the cutting edge. Now, every now and again, you get an old restaurant that will make no changes. It will be a hole in the wall, and it will stay a hole in the wall, but their food is so good, that their reputation is so good, that people come back. But, go look at hotels, rebranding. Go look at all the hotel logos changing over the years, the all the businesses, all the clothing, they're constantly changing because people want change. As a, um, I stay in hotels a lot. And when a hotel starts to get old, you go in, it's got a smell. The furniture is all scratched and broken because they typically put in furniture that's going to last five, ten years. And the mattresses start getting hard and lose their life. You're not going to go back there again because you know it's not cutting edge. The same with churches. If we don't stay on the cutting edge of what God's doing, we end up being old whiners. Now, not change for compromise. There are many churches that have changed. There are Pentecostal churches. There are AG churches that are, and I say this kindly, 
that are no different to a Baptist church, except now and again they'll speak in tongues. There's no manifestations of the power of God, no emphasis on the Spirit of God. In fact, some of them actually are uncomfortable when there is something happening by the Spirit. Some of the leaders even shut it down because it's offensive, as if the Holy Spirit could offend. So, not, sake for, not change for the sake of compromise. Not change because we're going to lower the standard. If anything, our change must be to up our game. Our change is not to lower, it's to improve. We don't want business as usual because if we keep doing the same thing in the same way, we'll get the same results. So we need to do it differently. But it, And you know this. We don't live from the outside in. We live from the inside out. So change has to start in us. You can't change the world until you change yourself. You can't carry change just by a changed paint job. New carpet is fabulous. doesn't change the church. We change. Then what we see and what we do adds to that change. An environmental change is not enough when it comes to the kingdom of God. The change is right here. We want to go deeper. We want to go higher. We want to go further. We will go stronger. We want to be more passionate. We want to increase in our faith. Our change is not just decoration changes. It's about a change of heart, a change of emphasis. To find that flow of the river, what God is wanting to do at this given season in time. That's and, and Pastor Rick said that it's gearing from God and then doing what God tells you to do. And so new wineskin leaders are desperately needed right now. And I'm, I'm thinking not just this church because I've visited a lot of churches but the churches I'm visiting up most of them I've been going to 30 years because that's how long I've been I've just got back from Connecticut I've gone to that church for 28 years a week every year sometimes I've gone two weeks a year I've been coming here six years I've been going to um, Albuquerque about six years now and I do two weeks there a year and and here's the thing that I'm noticing is that we are getting older especially some of the churches I've been going for 28 years 30 years we have all aged and we have to change if we are going to hand the mantle to a to an Elisha generation that is coming up under us for me that's what our change should be about not just how can we have a nice church? How can we somehow reach that next generation that this building isn't sold into a bingo hall when we all die? That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, how do we reach that younger generation that we can hand over the heritage of our 
50 years in the ministry, our 40 years in the ministry, our 30, 50 years of serving God, who do we hand that mantle over to? Even Pastor Rick challenged me as we got in the car. He said, I, I, I don't want to sound like insensitive or anything, but what's your backup plan if you die? <laughs> and he's right. Because you, I can't just, I've got to hand over. There's got to be a legacy. This church is at a point where it has to make some radical shifts to reach this next generation because we're all getting older. I remember vividly, go back 50 years, long hair, jeans, sandals, t-shirt. I'm invited to a, an Anglican church, an Episcopal church. And I was so hungry for God, I just wanted to go to any meeting that someone would invite me. And I went in, and I'm serious. I was obviously the only young person in the church. There was a row of elderly people, I think like two men and maybe five women. The minister was old. They were old. And I sat looking at them, and I sat behind them. I was in like the second row. And that was it. That was the meeting. Nothing wrong with the meeting. But my thought was, 50 years from now, I'm going to be their age. You know, where am I going to be? What am I going to be doing? And will there be someone young coming, sitting in the row behind me that I can raise up? Or am I going to die and this building become a casino, become a mosque, become a, a, um, whatever they buy up the land and turn it into something else. We, we have a task as the church from generation to generation will speak of his works. And we have a generational gap that we have to somehow in our new wine win that younger generation. I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm just saying that's the one thing I feel you need to pray into. How do we have musicians, younger musicians? How do we have young camera people, media people? We know that the youth understand the dynamics of media and creativity. We need to reach that age because it's all about messaging. It's all about communication, the gospel, teaching, video, social media, whatever. It's all communication. And that's the nature of the kingdom. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How? By communication. This gospel will be preached, communication. So somewhere in our communication, Pastor Rick, We've got to strategize how do we cross this chasm from our level of maturity to win young families, young people that will be our legacy. That we can hand the mantle to them. That's what I'm thinking. I, um, I've been working with this church in Connecticut for 28 years. The pastor and I, we, we're about 
a year apart. In fact, our, my birthday is on the 26th of August, Caesar's on the 25th of August. We normally see who can phone each other first to wish each other happy birthday. It's kind of like a race of time. So like the 23rd this, this year, I called like two days ahead. I said, I want to beat you to it. <laughs> um, and we get on really well. And I've worked with him in his retirement plan. He's had some physical challenges in his body. And he just didn't have the strength to keep going. And so years back, we started raising up a young team. And... Um, the youth pastor um, is 23 years old. His wife is 23 years old. The worship pastor is 28 years old. He's grown up in that church, highly anointed, blessed. His, his team is a mixture, but he's bringing in a lot of young people, cutting edge. So there's maturity, seasoned musicians, and they have multiple teams. It's a big church. But they're bringing in a new generation. The pastor, he's got um, kids that are, he's in his mid-40s, 45. Young, cool dresser, cutting edge, looks good. But just by handing over the church nine months ago to a young leadership team, already it's bringing in young people. That shift, that visible shift. I don't know how you're going to do it to start reaching. Maybe you're going to have to raise up some young... Sorry, that's just my timer to tell me to keep it short. Because <laughs> I could go on on this subject. But I'm 72. I'm, I've been in the ministry 50 years. And I'm recognizing I've got to raise up a young generation. Fortunately... A lot of my work is in missions in Africa, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Turkey, Egypt, um, Jordan, and um, um, uh, Morocco, um, and throughout Africa, and Mauritius, and Amazon. Most of our leaders are in their 20s and 30s. I'm training a lot of, I've just trained over 200 young people as leaders, spiritual leaders. I've got another wave coming through. On the 10th of January, I'll enroll probably another 100 new missionaries for training. That's my contribution to the future. My experience, I share with them, I mentor them, I coach them, I meet with them. And as a leadership team, you really need to huddle and find a strategy in God. You know, I was thinking when you told me you need guitarists and that, I, I'm thinking if it was me, I know what I would be doing. I'm going to come here and I'm going to walk this sanctuary and I'm going to prophesy over that guitar standing there, over the drums, over the camera, over the sound. I'm just going to walk around and prophesy. I'm going to call them in. I don't know any other way other than the way of faith. And that's how I operate. That's how I've done whatever I've done is by faith. And then ask God. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. God has got a plan for you to reach that generation. But as a leadership team, you exist to, to 
to bring about a change, a structural change, a change in strategy, a change in emphasis, whatever our branding, our look, our feel is all going to contribute to this that God gives us. Now, we're talking about reaching the younger generation. Elijah was told to go get Elisha. God showed him. And I'm trusting that God's going to show you the mantle. And I know you've brought on Marty and you're bringing on uh, others, but there's got to be a strategy um, to reach that generation, to raise up. My goal is to raise up a, a thousand missionaries. We've got 300 right now, and we've got another 45 who are fundraising, so it's 345 potential full-time missionaries. By the way, five of them will be here tomorrow. They're driving down from Dallas. Five of our young missionaries are coming in to be here for Sunday, morning, Sunday night, and Monday. And I'm so glad that they're going to come here because um, I've told them how good you are. So please be on your best behavior, especially Bobby. Please, please, dude, please. Just, yeah, just... Don't like go behind them and, and pinch their leg while they're praying. You know what I'm saying? Just, just play nice. <laughs> I love change. I do not like business as usual. Jesus, the ultimate world changer. In fact, that's, and you know, when I taught you on the series of Book of Acts, I called it the Book of World Changes, because that's what I want to raise up as world changes. And I'm 72, and I still feel young in my spirit. I wait on the Lord. I'm energized. I'm strong. I'm running hard. I can honestly say that I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life. When I say I work hard, it's not just for the sake of hard work. I feel like the clock is counting down and I've got much that I want to do. And so I don't think in terms of hours or minutes, I think in terms of seconds. Every second is pregnant with eternity. I want to make my time count that's left on earth to be fruitful. So my hard work is I want to be fruitful. I want to raise and impact that generation. And I'm, I'm seeking God for strategies to do that. And the Bible says that if we wait upon the Lord, we will be renewed in our strength. We'll soar. And that's what I want. I want to soar. I don't want to walk with the gravitational force of the world on me. I want to walk with a heavenly mindedness. I want to walk in the spirit, in the power of God. And then... I want to run because of the urgency of the hour. And when I do walk, I want to walk with, I want to walk with the, like he says, uh, walk worthy of the Lord. Walk in faith. Walk in the Spirit. My way of conduct must match this urgency of time. How do you feel? So I wanted to encourage you to think about this tonight that we're getting older, we have to change. And I believe that's what Pastor Rick is after. He realizes 
We can't keep doing the same thing in the same way. Here's the thing, many of you have been here maybe even longer than Pastor Rick. How many of you have been here longer than Pastor Rick? At least 40%. And, and of course he's going to be respectful to your seniority and years in this church. He's going to really need your support to make the changes that are needed. And I know he's got that. I just say that to encourage you because he honors you and recognizes that this that we've got today is because of your faith, your passion, your giving, but we're doing it for tomorrow and for the next year and until Jesus comes. We have a great work we need to do. And we need to, we need to move quickly. We are running out of time. Not just natural time, but it's like we're in a kairos. And the world is getting darker. And if we don't get brighter, we are going to lose this moment. We have to get serious about the things of God. So for me, the new wine is the fresh move of God. And there's all the indicators that there is something happening in the spirit. How many of you feel it? I, here's what I've been preaching, and I know I've gone over my time. My, my two focuses right now have been on deep cries out to deep. I'm hearing the volume of God's appeal to my spirit. The depth of God is calling me deeper. That's what I'm feeling. The second thing that I'm feeling is that the Christian church is in a crisis of faith. And we have to build ourselves in our most holy faith, not just in our faith in God, and that's obvious, have faith in God, but the operations of faith, the confession of faith, the authority in the name of Jesus, the prayer of faith, according to our faith, be it unto us, we need to step up our faith game. And there's been such a, a quenching of faith because of publicity, media, with prosperity consciousness that people think faith is all about money. And it takes money to win the lost. And God has a prosperity for his saints. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were very prosperous. And it seems to be God's pattern that he wants to put prosperity upon his people but we don't use faith as a means to an end. It's a given. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what we do, will, what we need will find us. So what we've got to do is get that, beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health. We want God's prosperity. But faith is not just to get stuff. Faith is to reach a generation. That's what I'm feeling. That's where I'm at right now. My messaging, my focus is on the cry of God to our heart, calling us higher, deeper, further, which goes with new wine because it is a new wine movement. But with new wine is new wine skin. And to accommodate what God wants to do, there's got to be new wine skin. 
I was in a church that had revival, full gospel church, same as AG, Pentecostal roots that go back to Azusa Street. That's where I got saved. When the move of God came, we were a deacon-run church at that time. We made a shift. We went to a eldership. We went to a different style. Uh, we, we voted never to vote. <laughs> we, we just made some radical cultural shifts to accommodate the move of God. The way we worship changed significantly. We brought in cutting-edge worship back then, you know, which was like now it's ancient worship. <laughs> but back then it was radical, drums, bass, guitar, you know, multiple singers on the stage. We just went, we brought in multimedia uh, back then. That's in the late 70s. I had big screens back then projecting up for teaching and that. We, we just went big in changing the whole look of the place, how we conducted our services. And we had souls saved. We reached our city. We did a great work. Because we not only had the power of God, but we made the change that would sustain it. Most moves of God only last two years, some seven years. You know, Azusa Street, as powerful as it was, after seven years, was pretty much done. The Welsh Revival, two years, you know. Um, and I think that that's sad. Azusa Street, the legacy continues, but it's time for a fresh move of God. And so this is what this weekend is all about, is like Pastor said, it's not just about teaching on new wine and new wineskins, it's about an impartation. And that's what I've come here for, is not just word, but power and demonstration to take us deeper, to expand us in our capacity for God. Pastor Rick.